Good evening again to each of you. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's good to be here one more evening with all of you. Um, tonight, I just want to say again, thank you for praying for us this week, for myself specifically, as I prepared to share. Um, I sensed your prayers, and I say thank you for that. Thank you, too, for the way that you blessed our family, for all the, the food and the gifts, everything else. Um, our children greatly appreciated it and they're gonna appreciate it for probably the next couple of days. So uh, thank you for, for doing that for us. Um, it was a great blessing to us. And I just wanna bless you as a congregation. Again, um, you are a great group of people to preach to. Um, thank you for being attentive and listening in. And uh, I just wanna bless you as you go forth from here tonight. This is the last time that I'm here, but I know that this congregation is gonna remain faithful and I'm thankful for that. So continue going forward with, with God, and I pray that his blessing would be on each of you. Tonight's message, I have simply titled The Blessing of a Clear Conscience, and tonight, I don't know how many of you thanked God today for his, the conscience that he has placed within you, but a conscience really is a tremendous blessing for those of us who are believers, and all of us here today are born with a conscience. Scripture talks about um, how there is a law that is written on our hearts, and we're going to get to those verses in just a little bit, and how those um, laws that are written on our hearts um, are something that are part of who we are. And it's interesting, we say how you don't need to teach a person how to do wrong. We're naturally born with a broken and a fallen nature. We understand um, that by nature we do things that are wrong. Yet it's interesting how criminals go to great extents to hide the things that they're doing. And I'm not even sure that they could really explain to you why they do that. But they understand that they really should do the things that they're doing in secret. Now... Some of it goes back to the laws of our land, and they understand um, that they're breaking the law, but who came up with those laws? Who came up with those reasons why um, you get put into prison if you steal something, or if you take the life of somebody else? Well, those laws go back to the Word of God. And so you and I have a conscience that we should desire to be trained by the Holy Spirit. And in the lives of some people, because of their upbringing, because of various reasons, they ha their conscience doesn't prick them the same way that it does for those of us who were raised in a Christian setting. And for some people, their conscience actually reaches the point where it breaks down. And Romans 1.28 talks about that where it says how God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And when we look at the lives of people and we ask, how can they do that without feeling something Many times that's what's happened. They have been given over to this reprobate mind where their conscience no longer speaks to them. But you and I tonight, when we have a good conscience that is functioning the way that it should be, it is a great blessing to us. And there is a peace that comes through allowing our conscience to speak through us and allowing our conscience to do its work. In Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. You and I, through the sacrifice that Christ has made, through his blood, can have our conscience cleansed and made clean and brought back to a correct place where it will function the way that it's supposed to. A conscience that has troubled us and has bothered us points us to Jesus Christ, to a place where we surrender and we allow it to do its work. And there is a joy that comes through knowing that you are right with God. When I was in, I think it was fourth grade, um, there was something that happened to me that made me very aware of my conscience. When I was in fourth grade, every Friday, we did something called chores. And that involved sweeping the floors, emptying the trash, and we had to do something that, I don't know how many people even do this anymore, go outside and clap the erasers. You remember doing that? Clapping erasers. So uh, we had to go outside the school and clap erasers. And for little um, boys who are in fourth grade, clapping erasers is just kind of, you know, you stand there and you clap erasers and dust flies, and it's kind of, how can I make this more interesting? So uh, for a while, we used to beat them against the side of the school until they said that wasn't allowed anymore, and so that, you know, we went back to clapping the erasers together. And uh, one Friday afternoon, it was my turn to clap the erasers. And so I went outside, and I'm clapping the erasers. And I, I still remember the very spot where I was standing. Um, Pleasant Valley School is reversed from what it used to be. Um, now you drive and you enter the front of the building. It's towards the church. It used to be behind the church, and there was a carport. And I was standing just outside that carport. You know, I'm standing there Friday afternoon. School's almost over, and I'm clapping the erasers. And I was thinking of how I could make this more exciting. And then it dawned on me, we're not supposed to hit the erasers against the building, but nobody said we can't throw the erasers into the air and let them hit the ground. And so I took one eraser and I threw it up in the air and it hit the ground and I got the effect I wanted. It was some chalk flew and I was like, well, that's pretty neat. So I took the other eraser and I threw it into the air and I waited and I waited and it never reappeared. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, where'd this eraser get to? And I thought, well, maybe it's behind me. And so I turned around, there's no eraser. And then I looked up and I'm like, oh, I was standing about four feet from the roof. And when I threw the eraser up, I misjudged the trajectory of the eraser and it landed about two feet up onto the roof. And immediately I'm like, oh dear, now, now what do I do? Um, So I'm looking at my eraser and I'm trying to decide what to do and I knew the bell was soon going to ring for the end of school and so I'm like, well, I need to get back inside. So I went back inside and I put my one eraser up at the chalkboard and I sat down at my desk and I'm like, oh, I should really tell my teacher that I threw the eraser up onto the roof. But in my mind, I'm thinking no recess for a week, writing a thousand times, I will not throw erasers into the air. I was imagining all the possible punishments my teacher could come up with. And so I'm like, I'm just going to let the eraser up there, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to deal with it for the weekend, and I'm going to see what, what I can come up with. Well, school ended, we left, and the whole way home, all I could think about was that little eraser laying up on the roof. And I'm like, how am I going to make this right? Because I, I really, really didn't want to tell my teacher. So all Friday night, I'm thinking, eraser, eraser, how am I going to get the eraser back? Saturday rolls around. All day long, I'm thinking, eraser, eraser. How am I going to, how am I going to make this right? Because I, I, I don't know why I was just resistant to the idea of telling my teacher. 
So sometime on Saturday, it dawned on me that there could possibly be a way for me to deal with it and my teacher never get involved. The way the old school was built, at the one corner, it was low enough that little boys, if they climbed the one tree, they could almost get across to the roof. And if you boosted somebody up, you could definitely get onto the roof. So in my mind, I hatched this idea up that at church on Sunday morning, I was going to convince some of my friends to come with me down to school, and we were going to figure out a way to get over onto the roof. So I was feeling better about the eraser on the roof. So Sunday morning rolls around, and I went to church. And after church was over, I said, hey, let's go down to the school. And all my friends were like, no, we're not going down to the school. Like, we're not going down there. And I'm like, well, could you help me with something? You know, on Friday, I threw an eraser up on the roof, and I really want to get it back down. And they're like, why don't you just tell the teacher? And I'm like, no, I really don't want to do that. So a couple of us went down there, and we looked at it. One of them climbed the tree. We tried to get across to the roof, and it just it did not work. Um, there was just no way for us to get up onto the roof. So my little heart just collapsed, and I was like, I am toast. Monday morning, this is all over. So I went to school Monday morning, and I'm like, I'm just going to deal with, like, just let this go as long as possible. And so first class went by. Teacher didn't notice. Second class, I don't even remember what the class was, but the teacher said, we're going to do an activity up at the board, and my heart went, ugh. I know that she's going to know now that the eraser's missing. So we went up to the board for the first couple of, it was a game where we had two teams racing and the first person to write the correct answer got a point. So um, first little bit, you know, everybody's writing and then soon we're like trying to share this eraser back and forth and soon the teacher's like, wait a second, like there should be two erasers up here. Like why are you guys sharing this eraser? And there was a little bit of talk at the front of the room and I'm standing at the back of the line and I'm like, oh, this is it, um, I am done. And finally, she was like, well, who took care of the erasers on Friday? And I'm like, I did. I, I, I took care of them. And she's like, well, where's the other eraser? And I'm like, oh, it's up on the roof. <laughs> and she was like, how did it get up there? And I was like, well, um, I was throwing them up in the air because I thought that it was neat when they hit the ground and chalk flew and one of them went up on the roof. And she's like, okay, well, we'll deal with this in just a little bit. So break time came, I got to go to break. Um, and apparently over that time she went and she got the principal and he went up on the roof with a ladder and got the eraser down. And unfortunately, I can't remember what my punishment was. Um, I don't remember what she did. But as I look back at that experience, I ruined an entire weekend over an eraser. I could have had a really, really good weekend if on Friday after the bell rang, I would have just simply went up to my teacher and said, I did something really stupid. I threw the eraser up onto the roof. How can we get it down? And I could have enjoyed my weekend. Instead, I spent that whole weekend scheming and dreaming about how I could possibly make it right and then trying to carry it out and failing. And on Monday, I just felt rotten when I went to school. I didn't feel good at all on Monday when school time came. And if I would have simply gone and dealt with it on Friday, like I should have, I could have enjoyed my weekend. Let's go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2. 
And we're going to look at verses 12 to 16. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. In other words, this law that is written on their hearts. Verse 15, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Here Paul is talking about our conscience and its work in our lives to dictate what we should and should not do. The last verse that I read says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how Paul uses the word secrets when he's talking about the works that men have done. In other words, Paul is alluding to the fact that there are people who in their lives bear secrets that their conscience is smiting them for, but they're just not willing to deal with. They're saying, I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this maybe later, or I'm just going to cover this up and act like it's not part of who I am. If there is anything that Satan loves, it's a guilty conscience. Because Satan loves to manipulate us. He loves to get us to a place where he can just constantly poke us and bring back that thing that he knows our conscience is continually bringing up in our minds. For me, in fourth grade, that eraser was something that I thought of probably ten times in the matter of an hour. It just kept coming back. It kept, it kept being brought back into my mind. Satan loved it. It was something small, but he knew that as long as that thing was there, he had, a, he had me at a place where he could manipulate me. Psalm 28 verse 13 is a very familiar verse. It says, he that covereth his sins shall prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. It's an interesting use of words when it says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. A person whose conscience is bothering them is not at a place where they can prosper, where they can function as they're designed to function. God has given us a conscience so we will take a path where we are put in a place where we can grow, where we can prosper spiritually, where we can be who God wants us to be. We can find mercy when we are willing to confess and forsake our sins. There are four people that I would like to look at tonight who had a guilty conscience and how they dealt with it. The first one is a familiar story that I used last night. The story of Achan. Achan had a guilty conscience, and he had a choice of how he was going to deal with that guilty conscience. 
When he took those things from Jericho and he took them back to his tent, they bothered him. So Achan's choice, his method of dealing with his guilty conscience was to bury it. He dug a hole and he put those things into the ground and he thought, if I can just get them out of sight, I'll be able to deal with it. When you and I have a guilty conscience, we can be tempted to try to just bury it. For me with my eraser on Friday afternoon, I decided I'm just going to put this thing behind me. I'm just going to I'm going to push it back here and I'm just going to try to forget about it. I'm going to bury it. Aiken could have left that thing buried there for a week, for a month, for a year, for a decade. And I can guarantee you, he would have never escaped the guilty feelings that those things brought to his life because he had never confessed them and he had never forsaken them. We can attempt to bury our guilt and ignore it, but it never works. In John chapter 12, we have the example of Judas. Judas Iscariot. In John chapter 12, we have the story of Mary coming in and anointing the feet of Jesus. And it says that when she did this, in verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Judas was a man who had interaction with Jesus on a very regular basis, possibly a daily basis. You would think that a man who was with Jesus all the time would have had it all together. But in verse 6, it says, after Judas said all these things about Mary, Mary comes in, she anoints the feet of Jesus with this expensive ointment, and Judas is like, why didn't we take this and sell it and give to the poor? Because we could have used that money to reach people. And on the outside, it looked like a great idea. But Judas didn't care about the poor people. Judas didn't care about taking care of them or seeing that their needs were met. Judas was simply reacting in a way that would make it look like he really truly cared about people who had needs. Judas had a desire to be rich, and he wanted money. That's what was at the heart of Judas. Judas put on a facade where he acted like on the outside, everything was okay. He puts on this covering, and he says things that would make him sound really spiritual, that would make him sound good. When we have a guilty conscience, we can respond that way, where we put on, we put on a facade, and we try to act and pretend like everything's okay. 
but inside of us, our conscience is still speaking to us. The third example that I have is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira made up this plan where they were going to sell some land and then keep some back for themselves and then bring it to the apostles and lay it at their feet and act like they had given everything. When they had an opportunity to make it right, they lied about it. Instead of coming clean and confessing it, they made up this lie. Jew and I, when confronted about sin, can be tempted to lie about it. In other words, we can not only lie, but we can, through lying, misconstrue what actually happened. And we can say, well, that's not actually what happened here. Or we can hatch up some other plan to try to cover our sin. When you look at lying, lying is a means to cover our tracks. And when we're lying... We're digging ourselves into a deeper hole than what we originally found ourselves in. What if Ananias and Sapphira, when confronted with this, would have, said, would have stopped and said, we're not being honest here. We're not being honest. And would have gone home and gotten the rest of their money. We wouldn't have had both of them falling down and dying. But they were in a place where they could not prosper because they were saying, we're going to cover our sin and we're going to attempt to hide it. Lying to try to free ourselves from punishment will never free us from guilt. We might be afraid of the punishment, but receiving the punishment and being honest about it is much better than lying to escape the punishment for our sin. The fourth example is another familiar one, the example of David. When David committed his sin with Bathsheba, we see the great extent that David went to to try to conceal his sin. David hatched an elaborate plan to try to get rid of everybody who could possibly expose his sin. First of all, he tried to cover it up and make it look like the child wasn't really his, that it was Uriah's. And when Uriah just didn't follow along with what he wanted him to do, he had him killed. David went to great extents to try to hide his sin. And we don't have time tonight to discuss all the results of David's sin. But we see how all the things that David, that David was involved in and the extent that he went to, when you look at the results of that, David paid a tremendous price because he wasn't willing to, at the beginning, confess his sin. Instead, he tried to cover it up. I'd like to go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 32, and look at what David says as he discusses how it felt for him 
when he was hiding his sin. Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. David's words here describing his guilty conscience perfectly fit how I have felt in the past with my guilty conscience. I remember clearly the hand of God heavy upon my life. I remember coming home as a young person knowing that what I did that night was something that would commit my very soul to hell. And it bothered me. And I remember laying in bed at night and not being able to sleep and looking at the ceiling, understanding that if I was about to take my last breath, I was going to spend eternity apart from Jesus Christ. The hand of God was heavy upon my life. And as I look back on that, I can't even express tonight in words the gratefulness and the appreciation that I feel in my heart for God sparing my life and giving me an opportunity to acknowledge my sin and to confess it and to deal with it. When we have a guilty conscience, it weighs on us. It presses us down. And you and I, no matter how hard we try, no matter how many steps we take to try to conceal our sin, we will never hide it from an almighty, all-knowing, powerful God. You can't hide it from God. In Luke chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus says this, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. He's talking about in the day of judgment, neither hid that shall not be known. Isn't it interesting how hard it is to confess to a God who already knows our sins what we've done? God already understands and knows the sin that we've committed, yet it's so difficult to break ourselves, get down on our knees, and confess to him the wrong that we've done. Tonight, if you are here, and you don't have the blessing of a clear conscience before God, let me tell you that it is much easier for you tonight to fall down before God and confess who you are before Him than to wait till the day of judgment and then be forced to your knees to confess before Him what you have done and to confess from your mouth that He is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Tonight it is easier for us to confess what we have done than to have God say, since you didn't reveal this when you had an opportunity, I'm going to reveal it. And he pulls back the curtain to reveal all the hideousness of your sin that you attempted throughout your lifetime to hide. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 say that God will not be mocked. Anything that a man sows, he will reap. And when you and I, through our flesh, sow to our flesh corruption, that's what we're going to reap. We are going to reap in our, in our lives, in our hearts, this corruption that comes through sin. And part of that corruption is the condemnation that is heaped upon us because of our sin. And that is the hand that is heavy upon our lives. God will not be mocked. I said last evening that sometimes we look at the people who are living in sin and it feels like God's letting them get away with it. And he might be. But God will bring to judgment all the things that those people are doing today. He will not be mocked. But then the last part of verse 8 says this. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The most amazing part about a guilty conscience is we don't have to live with it. We don't have to live with the hand of God upon our lives. We don't have to live knowing that if we died tonight, we wouldn't be ready to face a holy, almighty judge. We can be freed from all of it. In the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, we have the example of David when he is confronted with his sin when Nathan the prophet comes and talks to him. After Nathan shares with David the story of how the rich man took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and prepared it for him, and David boldly declares, that man shall die. Nathan calmly turns to him, and in verse 7 he says, Thou art the man. You're the one who has done this. And in verse 13, when David finally has an opportunity to speak, the first thing that David says is, I have sinned against the Lord. David understood his position before God. Tonight, if you are here and you want to understand the blessing of a clear conscience, the first thing that you need to do is confess. Admit that you are a sinner. Confess who you are and what you have done. Come out of the darkness. Come out of the hiding and reveal it. Confess it. David was willing to lay the blame squarely upon the individual who was responsible for the sin in his life. He never made any excuses. He never attempted, after it was revealed, he never again tried to hide it. 
David was willing to accept the punishment for his sin. In Psalm 51, David talks about the feeling that he felt after he confessed his sin. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before thee, or before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. David was giving a clear example of what you and I need to do when it comes to dealing with a guilty conscience. David was pouring himself out before God in confession. The second thing that he was doing was he was begging God for forgiveness. He's asking God to cleanse his life. In verse 7, he's saying, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David was begging for this forgiveness for his sin. And then in verse 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. The third thing that I see in the life of David, he was willing to confess, he was asking for forgiveness, and he showed true repentance. David was broken before God. He was willing to allow himself to be broken before God to give him that free and that clean conscience before God. He was getting rid of all of that guilt, all of that condemnation. He was removing all of it and asking for a clear, clean relationship with God again. David understood what it was like to walk with God. David understood what it was like to have that relationship broken. And then David understood what it felt like to have it restored. In Proverbs chapter 28, there's a verse that talks about our consciences. Tonight we want to look at the blessing of a clear conscience. It is a blessing when you and I have a clear conscience before God. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 8, sorry, 28 verse 1 says this, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. There are people throughout history who have gotten away with very wicked and immoral things for a great part of their life. The interesting thing is, if you have ever read any accounts or any stories of people who have gotten away with crimes, when the police come knocking at their door, when they start knocking, And they say, do you know why we're here? Almost every single time, the first words out of those people's mouths 
are the thing that they committed. Recently, I read a story of a man who had committed a murder approximately 35 years before he was actually found out. When the police came to his door and they said, we'd like to talk to you, he said, I know why you're here. He said, you're here because of, and he gave the name of the individual whose life he had taken. Let me ask you this question. How many times do you think that man hid himself because he heard sirens indicating that police were coming? How many times do you think he fled and hid? How many times do you think fear gripped his heart because somebody started talking about the crime that had been committed? How many times do you think he went to bed at night and the only thing that kept going through his mind was the thing that he had done and as hard as he tried to shake it, he could never get rid of it? Here in Proverbs, it says the wicked flees even though nobody's pursuing them. I'm sure there was times that that individual got away because he thought somebody was after him. When you look at the account of Adam and Eve, after they sinned, it says that Adam and Eve heard the the voice of God when he was walking in the cool of the garden. Sounds threatening, doesn't it? God's walking. God's talking. When Adam and Eve heard that, they hid themselves because God had become something that was menacing and threatening to them. And when God came and he started talking to them, I don't think God had an ounce of condemnation in his voice. There was nothing in the voice of God that was instilling guilt into them. It was their conscience. God was simply asking them, what have you done? What happened? And Adam and Eve felt threatened by it. The last part of this verse is the blessing of a clear conscience. The righteous are bold as a lion. When a lion is out on the plains of Africa, who is he afraid of? Very few things that threaten his existence. And as that lion walks across the plains, everybody else is scattering in fear. And he's walking with boldness and with purpose. You and I tonight, as we pursue a clean standing before God, can take on that same boldness that that lion has in his life. When somebody comes to us and questions us about something, maybe something that we've done in the past, when we have dealt with it and we have put it under the blood, we have nothing to fear. We can say, yes, I did that. But you know what? I have dealt with it. It is behind me. I have confessed it. The blood of Christ has washed me, and that is no longer part of who I am. I can walk boldly. Tonight, 
You and I are given a conscience for a reason. It is there to guide us, to direct us, and to motivate us to do the right thing. We don't have to be afraid of our conscience. And it is a blessing for us when we confess our sin, deal with it, and experience the mercy of God in our lives. It is a great blessing. Tonight, if you are here, and you are a person who can walk boldly, who can walk with your back straight, your head up, and you can look people in the eye, and you can say, there is nothing in my life that is not right with God. Remember to thank God tonight before you go to sleep. And if you're here tonight and you're like the wicked who at every turn you're ready to flee, there's a remedy. You can deal with it. You don't have to live with those feelings of guilt and condemnation in your life. You can confess your sin and you can forsake it. You can put it behind you and you can go forward. You don't have to live with that thing hanging over you. You can be free. And tonight I want to give you one more opportunity. If there is anybody here who has a guilty conscience and you've tried to hide it. You've tried to act like it's not there. You've tried to bury it. You might have lied about it. You might have hatched elaborate plans to cover it all up. And you know it. I want to give you one more opportunity during this week of revival meetings to take care of it. In just a little bit, we're going to sing a song. And while we're singing that song, I just want you to come forward and meet with somebody and deal with it. But before we sing, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight, we are so thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ who descended from heaven as a little baby, who lived a perfect and a holy life, endured ridicule, mocking, scornings, and ultimately the most painful, torturous death possible by being nailed to a cross and giving his life, shedding his blood so each of us can understand what it feels like to have our sins dealt with, placed under the blood, forgiven. God, what a blessing. Tonight we, we say thank you. And tonight we just want to pray one more time if there is anybody here who has something in their life that they need to deal with, God, I pray that they would be able to release themselves from that, to come to you, to confess it, and forsake it. God, give them the boldness to do that. Lord, help them to see that confessing today will be so much better than waiting for when they stand before you. God, give them courage and give them boldness. I pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.